All right. Hello, everyone, and nice to see you, Dr. Walsh. Welcome to the Professional Development Workshop on Crucial Conversation. I'm your host, Alina, and our speaker today will be Dr. Eric Walsh. This workshop is going to be um, something that's highlighted about how young professionals can still apply lessons and thrive during those challenging moments. It's through our actions, um, how we can communicate that will help us be seen as Christian professionals in the workplace and other areas. Please feel free to drop your questions in the chat during, um, during the talk and we will get to them time permitting during Q&A. So without taking too much more time, Dr. Walsh, the floor is yours. All right, thank you and thank you for having me. It's an honor and privilege. I've done ASIs before. Obviously, it's a new format, but that's okay. That's just kind of where the world is right now. And um, we're going to make the best of it. So I am uh, honored that we're going to deal with a topic that is critical for every professional, young or old. And the sooner you figure out a way to be good at crucial conversations, um, the faster you're going to be able to get um, great results at work. But it's not just at work. It's at home. It's at church. It's in your community, it's at school. Um, these conversations are difficult often, um, but necessary. That's why they're crucial. And so just some pointers from the book, Crucial Conversations, which I read years ago and have applied these uh, techniques and pointers uh, to my professional career. So I wanna share that with you. It's not a sermon, but I do wanna flavor this with some spirituality. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study the word and to go through these principles. And I just ask Lord that you uh, bless us and bless these young professionals who will be um, listening in, that they would be blessed to, to improve and enhance um, their work environment. But beyond that, Lord, that we'd be better at church and at home as well, is our prayer in Jesus's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in the book of Genesis chapter 33. The Bible says, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. He passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. It's just as a reminder, 20 years earlier, Jacob deceived Esau um, as well as his, his father and uh, got the birthright and the blessing from him, two different separate uh, instances, two separate kind of tricks. <laughs> um, he, of course, his brother Esau was a hunter, came, was going to come after him. So uh, Jacob's mom sent him back to her homeland. Um, and he wound up spending 20 years with his uncle Laban, who then tricked him into marrying his two daughters instead of just the one he loved, uh, Rachel. Um, and here he is coming home after 20 years when God said it's time for him to go back. Um, and he's going to have to have a crucial conversation with his brother Esau. He's going to have to try and make amends because God has sent him back. And he is worried that Esau would not only kill him, but because the birthright and the blessing would cause Jacob's uh, posterity to get all of what um, Isaac had left. He's worried that all of his children and wives could be killed as well. And so he passes before them, verse three, and bows himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So he, so he comes with this apologetic stance. So how, what happens to, to determine a crucial conversa uh, conversation? There are three factors that really make it crucial. And I have the three of them here with some Bible, with Bible verses for each one, just to kind of try and make the point. 
opinions differ. So the first thing about a crucial conversation is that if two people who have very different opinions on something, and that is causing friction or problems in the workplace, or at home or at church, um, I'll kind of stick to the workplace, but I think I'll flash out into the other arenas as, as appropriate. So you, you two people are um, having a disagreement or two factions of people even. Um, and so the scripture says, can two walk together except they be agreed? That's Amos chapter three and verse three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? So you will not have a good organization a good church or a good home if the people inside are all going in a different direction because they have disagreed. You must have crucial conversations to align things, difficult conversations, painful at times, in order to bring people on the same page so that everyone can be going in the right direction. In the book, Good to Great, the author has this um, kind of um, um, uh, catchphrase where he says the secret to a great organization is that you got to get the wrong people off the bus you got to get the right people on the bus and then you got to get the right people in the right seats but the other part of that is the everyone on the bus has to be in agreement that they're going the same place um, and that's why differences of opinions um, have to be dealt with now to be clear differences of opinion at work aren't bad because sometimes it is the friction created by differing approaches or opinions that actually finds the sweet spot and gets you the best result. So how you handling differences of opinions can actually be synergistic in making your workplace, your church or your home a better place. Number two, the second factor for crucial conversations is that the stakes are high. It's all from the book. You can get the book and read it. It's a phenomenal book. Um, and, I, and so the stakes are high. When this happens, it's not that you disagree on you know, which breakfast cereal to buy, even though in some houses um, that could cause, you know, break out into fist fights. But it, it, it's, it's more about like, where are we going to live? Should we take a different um, job in another city? Um, which school should the children go to in the home? At work, it becomes really serious because at work, um, you know, it, this could be something that could make or break a, a big deal to make lots of money. You could lose or gain a very important um, employee. So the stakes are high. And, it's, and so the, the verse of scripture I use here is Isaiah 118. I just put part of it. I'll read, the, I'll recite the whole thing. It says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as snow. Though they be as crimson, um, they shall be made white. Uh, so when you look at it, um, even God has crucial conversations with us. And he has it around the highest of all stakes, and that is salvation. So we have to come and reason together as, as people of differing opinions in the workplace when we know that there's a, a huge thing at stake. Number three, emotions are high. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. We often use this for married couples, but this matters in the workplace as well. You don't really want to leave for the day furious with your coworker or your supervisor or your, or your subordinate. Definitely not over a weekend because this thing festers and causes major problems. So not only do we have a differing of opinion, not only does the 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 the, the not only the stakes high, the, the consequences really high, but the emotions are high. People have are entrenched. They believe they are right. People begin to take it personally. People begin to get angry. When these three things line up, you have the makings or a crucial conversation. I'll argue any one of the three could actually get you there. But when the three of these things are present, you really have the thing that would cause you to have a crucial conversation. So what are some of the key points that I get this from one of the online um, 
um, kind of like uh, professional um, uh, academies. And so number one is safety first. Some of the things you get from the book um, are when stakes are high, opinions vary, That's the, as we just said, and emotions run strong. It is important that everyone involved in the conversation feels safe. Look for signs of fear and bring the conversation back to safety. So if you're gonna have a crucial conversation, safety comes first. Now, obviously physical safety comes first, but most of the time you're not worried that someone's gonna punch you. Uh, and if you are, may not be in the right organization um, at work, but most of the time it's safety around, am I safe to express my opinion? Am I safe to give my point of view? Am I safe um, to be vulnerable and admit I did something wrong? If you do not create an atmosphere of safety, um, you won't have these crucial conversations. And let me tell you something, God allows us safety in seeking him. He says, come let us reason together. Um, uh, when the prodigal son is returning home, the father goes running to him. Uh, God allows for safety. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. We are to be servant leaders, which is what the title of this talk initially was. Um, and when you practice servant leadership, one of the things that happens is that you want to create a safe environment because you want to empower people to speak up, empower people to be better, empower people to have a work environment that is very enjoyable. So safety first. Number two, let the facts lead. It is important to stick to the facts during a crucial conversation. While it can be easy to confuse the stories we tell ourselves, which may not be the whole truth, and the facts always focus on the facts to keep dialogue on track. From the book, as a quote from the book, get back to the facts. Abandon your absolute certainty by distinguishing between hard facts and your invented story, page 129. And this is partly, I mean, even in the debate about masks right now or, or um, the seriousness of the coronavirus, there's a lot of stories, right? You can anecdotally find someone who got it and had no symptoms. You can anecdotally find someone who got it and got super sick or even um, died from it. What are the facts? What are the real uh, mortality rates? What are what is the infection rate? You got to go back to the facts if you're going to have a, a, um, a, a wise conversation and a meaningful conversation. But what happens is, of course, you, you, you want to tell yourself a story. This is literally how Lucifer deceived, Satan deceived Eve in the garden. He told her stories about the situation and made her move away from the facts that God had told her. In every conversation, you want the facts to be at the basis. Um, and don't believe that just because you think it's right, it automatically is. Go back and check the facts. Number three, look within. The key to a successful, crucial conversation is having an open dialogue. And to do so, you must start with yourself. While you can't be sure you can control anyone else in the dialogue, you can control yourself. You have control over yourself. So in a situation when you're having a, a crucial conversation, um, or about to even have one, it's really important to stop and ask yourself, what's motivating you? What's guiding you? Um, or do you have some personal vendetta against this person? Or just maybe you have some dislike. Maybe you inherently think you're smarter than or wiser than that person. So look within, do a self-assessment before you go into the conversation. Ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? And as a Christian, let me give you this powerful piece of information to use at home, at work, or in the church. Ask yourself if this is such a high, um, uh, 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 an issue of such high importance, what might God be trying to teach you? Look within and say, Lord, if we're going through this difficulty or this challenge, what are you trying to teach me? 
I've had to ask myself, ask God that for myself a lot of times with some of the things I've been through. And I want you to learn to always pause and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What part of my character are you trying to perfect that I'm being led through this difficult path? Number four, find mutual purpose. When engaged in crucial conversation, it's necessary to find mutual purpose. This means being genuine when looking for a common goal and honestly working to achieve the shared goal instead of manipulating or leading toward a personally desired outcome. The book says it this way, mutual purpose means that others perceive that you're not working toward a common outcome in a conversation, that you care about their goals, interests, and values, and vice versa. So you want to find mutual purpose, because usually, although the opinions differ, oftentimes you have the same goal in mind. So you want to go, you want to keep um, the mutual purpose in the forefront. So you first you have to find it. So if you're playing in the National Football League and the NFL, um, everybody has the mutual purpose of trying to win a Super Bowl. They might not agree on who should start or who should be the running back or the quarterback or whatever, but they have that mutual purpose. And you have to come back to that. And then once you get back to that, the, the facts will help to guide you. So in the conversation, let the other person know, hey, what, what, do you, what do you need? What are you looking for? I just did an interview with somebody for a job today. I was interviewing for some new providers for our clinics. And I, that's what I asked. I said, what do you need? What are you looking for? Uh, I know what we need in the clinic, but it's not just about what I need. What is this person looking for? And can, can we provide that atmosphere? Number five, curiosity is key. During crucial conversations, it's common for people to either shut down and walk away or react with anger. In order to bring dialogue back to a safe place, it's important to become curious. Ask questions and find out why they are feeling the way they are. Be sincere when trying to get to the source of their anger or denial. And I like this. It says when people become furious, become curious. And I've worked at healthcare organizations and they say, listen, you know, don't be judgmental, be curious. Don't be judgmental, be curious. And in the workplace, especially, and even at church, that's important. A lot of times we judge people when we should be trying to figure out what's making them tick. Why are they, why are they having whatever issue they're having or, or, or have the needs they have? Um, so, you know, you don't want people to shut down and walk away or to become angry. Um, and you don't want to do that yourself. Um, become curious and ask those questions to find out why the person feels that way. And you'll be, you'll find oftentimes that, that you'll get an avalanche of information. Um, if you're sincere in asking, people will tell you a lot. So don't, don't get mad when others get mad. Find out what's making them so angry. And a lot of times they'll tell you they've reached a tipping point, a boiling point. They just can't take it anymore. And you may find some common ground that you can work on. So number six is really important. Watch your words. Words matter. What we say matters and the way that we say it matters. This doesn't mean we should engage in crucial conversations. We just have to approach them with purpose. Turning to sarcasm, human or negative body language instead of engaging in dialogue is not productive. So watch your words. Um, what you say matters. And, you know, the, the, the Bible says it like this life and death is in the power of the tongue. What you speak, you almost speak into existence. Um, so what you say matters. You call a person a name or make an off-color joke or a joke of, that might offend, and you could lose that person forever over a few words. Um, so you have to be careful what you say. Um, but it's not just what you say. It's your body language. If you're rolling your eyes, folding your arms. I have had to have crucial conversations, and the, the person I'm talking to is, you know, rolled up, their arms folded, eyes rolling. And they're not saying anything, but they're saying everything that needs to be said, even if they don't say a word. So watch not just your words, but your actions, because they both matter. Um, and this is the difference between God and, and Satan, right? 
Satan can say whatever he wants. He can lie. God has to say only that which is truth and accurate. Um, and so that's really one of the important things. Number seven, what you say versus what, you, what they hear. What you say versus what they hear. There's often a gap between what we say, what we mean, and how someone else perceives what we said, what was said. When engaging in a crucial conversation, blend confidence with humility. Be confident enough to state opinions and facts, but also be open to accept the challenge. And, and I like, I have one, uh, one supervisor I used to work with who said, listen, okay, you know, I, I, I welcome your pushback. I, I welcome you pushing back against what I just said. And that gives you kind of a feeling of freedom to say, all right, here's my side of it. Um, and you got to be careful that they hear what, you, what you're actually saying, um, and you're not assuming they understand what you're saying. A conversation can be interpreted in so many ways, so really think before you speak. This is where there's often a breakdown. It's like the game of telephone, um, where people hear one thing, even though the intent was something different. Even worse is texting on your phone, emails. These things can cause major problems because they can often send a message um, that you didn't intend and be read very differently uh, because of the two-dimensional nature of text messages and emails. Number eight, my way or the highway. Crucial Conversations defines the fool's choice as either or choices. Those who make the fool's choice believe they have to choose between two outcomes or behaviors, but there's always options in dialogue. From the book, it says this, Watch to see if you're telling yourself that you must choose between peace and honesty, between winning and losing, and so on. Break free of the, these fool's choices by searching for the and. And so in, in salvation, it's choose you this day who you, whom you will serve. Will it be God or man, right? You can serve God or mammon. You, you know, you get two choices, wheat, tear, goat, sheep. Not like that in business or even at home. There are uh, gradations, not of truth, but gradations of agreement and finding a, a, a peaceful settlement. So, you know, if you're having difficulty figuring out when to have family worship, you know, there's no, not really a wrong time um, as long as it's done during the waking hours. But, you know, there, you know, you can find a way to come together um, to, to have the best um, uh, timing for the desired outcome. So if you say, look, it's my way or the highway, you lose it right up front. Um, you've got to go in there and ask and see what the other person is looking for in a crucial conversation and see how we can go from either or to both and. Um, and that's, that's one of the critical things about a crucial conversation. Number nine, listen up. Be genuine when asking others to share their facts and stories. As they share, crucial conversations say it's important to remember the ABCs uh, to, to be a skillful listener. Ask, mirror, paraphrase and prime so you want to ask is am i hearing you right is this what you meant mirror and then you can say okay let me let me let me let me mirror that back to you um or paraphrase it and say it back to them or prime it into what you're going to respond with um so this is important listening is really what's important um you know there are a lot of great speakers out there but they're not as many great listeners and it's a skill we all can work on i think if you if you look read the scripture carefully as much as is said in the bible that it is a repetitive consistent theme that god hears you god hears you he's listening he heard the cry of his people and so um, we need to be listeners as, as, as god gives us that example number 10 self-assess for success According to Crucial Conversations, becoming a vigilant self-monitor is important to dialogue. Make sure to frequently step out of the discussion and evaluate your own actions and reactions. Then evaluate how others are reacting to you and adjust your behavior to return to the common goal.
The most important thing I can do for success in crucial conversations is self-evaluation. I can only change me and my thoughts and my reactions. I can know what my end goal is, not make assumptions and stay calm and logical. So make sure to step out of the discussion. Ask yourself, am I being honest right now? Am I um, leading? Am I really listening? Uh, am I being stubborn? You know, and I'm dealing with something at work right now where I've kind of been stubborn and I'm like, you know, maybe this other person is right. Um, and so you got to step back and be honest uh, because, you know, God requires honesty of us. And you can't, you know, keep pushing for something you don't actually fully believe in uh, and pretending that you believe in it just so that you don't lose. And that's one of the things about crucial conversations. Move away from a I must win mentality to how do we all win mentality. All uh, right, so the, the, the G, Jacob and Esau ends like this, John, Genesis 3, 33, sorry, in verse 4. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. It is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, the reunion of Jacob and Esau. Isn't that a powerful story? How they come back together, how Jacob and Esau, um, uh, Esau is um, saddened, um, uh, that he had lost 20 years with his brother. And instead of trying to kill his brother, he actually missed his brother all those 20 years. So sometimes crucial conversations, you think you know what the other person um, is after or what they're going to do. And in fact, you don't know. And the other person is just um, sad and sorry that things have gone the way they have. And they're looking to reconcile. So you've got to sometimes put your guard down. And like Jacob, he bowed seven times as he approached his brother. Um, that was a posture of humility, and it is the posture you have to have if you're going to have crucial conversations. Alina. Ah, there you go. Thank you for sharing that talk with us. It was very insightful, and you really hit some great points. So now I kind of want to um, turn things to go through a few scenarios uh, for our audience to see how things look practically. So I'm going to share with you three scenarios, and then you can go ahead and, and answer them. So we have one, the first one says, uh, you are running a small business, but after some time, you notice your star employee's performance has gone down due to a seemingly toxic relationship with a colleague. This star employee is like the heart of the business. What type of conversation should take place? So your star employee has no is no longer giving you star performance. He's and that person is probably critical to the success mm -hmm. of the business, and you need to have a, a tough conversation with them. Mm -hmm. um, so you're asking what the approach is? Yeah, would be the appropriate approach. So again, you have to go in there um, curious, not mm -hmm. furious. Because mm. if you're losing money, you're probably <laughs> it's your business. You're probably pretty, or if you're the manager and they're looking at your bottom line, you're probably going to be pretty mad. But you can't start mad. You've got to start questioning, like, what's happening? Because here's what's, what I've found in my years of professional work. You can mm -hmm. go in there and find out that this person just lost a loved one, that their spouse mm -hmm. is leaving them, that they have a, a sick child. You might find that they are really going through some deep and serious personal issues. You may find that they're having a drug addiction problem or, or battling a, a, a terrible diagnosis. Um, 
and on and on and on and on. There are a lot of things that could be happening that could cause your star performer to no longer perform like a star. And if they've once performed like a star, unless something really drastically has changed, they can and will again. Mm -hmm. This is where you got to go in and have the crucial conversation, but don't go in to tell them anything. Mm -hmm. You got to go in with that ear to listen, as we talked about just a second ago. And you got to sit down with that person and say, listen, and have the facts. You know, you got to have the data in front of you, but you don't start even with that. You just say, listen, I'm concerned. I know how you know you normally are, are level performing such a high level and you aren't now. I'm here to find out from you. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything going on and how can I help? That will disarm the person because most people are going to think you're going to come in there to berate them because they're not right. performing well anymore. So you want to go and this is servant leadership again. You mm -hmm. want to go in there and empower your person to do well. Mm. So you got to go in there and ask them, how can I help you to do better? Um, and they might then break down and tell you they may be tired of the job. They may wish they we're in another career and all of that was good information because if they're done it's better you move them out um but a lot of times you're going to find a situation like that there's something else going on and you need to help them get back on the right track i totally totally agree with that um kind of like how you highlighted um you know don't go in there go in there curious try to find out you know what's what's the bottom line problem going on you know some people um, like in the scenario, um, you know, having a to toxic relationship with a colleague, but maybe that's not really the issue. Maybe that's their outlet for something underlying going right. on. So great point. So we're going to move on to scenario two. And it says, your manager calls you into her office and says that your colleague, Amy, and Amy is someone who you thought was a friend, um, said that you weren't holding up your end of a project. You can't believe Amy would do this to you since she never said anything to you directly. You feel betrayed and extremely angry in which you immediately go to Amy's office to confront her using several choice words. The question is, what should have been done instead in a situation where you're blindsided and you thought you had a good working relationship with this person? That happens obviously a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, in the business world, unfortunately, it yeah. can often be quite unscrupulous. People are trying to get ahead. I've seen it. People just boldface lie. I've seen some crazy things because for some people, mm -hmm. their career is their idol. Mm. Um, so with that said, there are people who will go to desperate measures to be successful, even at your expense. And I think you're naive if you go into corporate America and don't understand that. And let me throw this at you. Even in the church, this happens. Um, and if you've been around enough nominating committees and stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know that people can really get pretty cutthroat to get a position. And in the mm -hmm. church, they don't even pay. It's a voluntary position. So <laughs> imagine when, it, when, you, when, you, when it's a salary and benefits on the line. But I think what you have to do, again, is start with the facts. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the crucial conversation here is really going to be to go in there, sit down and just say, hey, you know, I thought we were friends. Tell me, why would you, why did you go in there and say that to them? Did I miss an email? Um, did something happen that I, a meeting I missed? You know, tell me what happened, why, you know, you were able to say what you just said and give them a chance to explain because you want to mm. assume good intent. Mm -hmm. That is one of the lessons a Christian yeah. and a servant leader does. You assume good intent. You start with good intent. Now they may not have good intent, mm -hmm. but you start there so that you're not judgmental because if you're not judgmental, you're free to be curious. And if you're curious, a lot of times that's how yeah. you're going to get the answers you want. Um, and then you've got to be bold and strong. You've got to call people onto the carpet and say, hey, you know, I didn't do this. Why are you saying I did this? Um, and you'll find a lot of times people really, really 
kind of panic. I would also say, in a, in a, in the, depending on your setting, but in many settings, once you've had that tough conversation, let's say they just they, they admit, look, I, I needed to get ahead, you might want to send an email to them, say, listen, I want to follow up on our conversation um, that you said this, this, and this, and and copy some of the people that they that they might have misrepresented you to mm-hmm. on that email mm-hmm. to make sure that it's documented for HR purposes. Um, but you have to sit with this person and you have to reassess whether or not you want this person as a friend. Um, yeah. you know, at work, it's, you have to be very careful becoming friends with people. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a place where you have to be wise. Obviously you want to be friendly and Christian to everyone. That's not the issue, but how close do you bring people in? Um, when you're just exactly. working with them, okay. um, that's an important part of it. And then, um, from there, um, you got to be willing to forgive. So when people mm-hmm. do you wrong as Christians, we also have to forgive. Doesn't mean you forget the lesson. You may not be able to trust that person going forward, but you know, you have to be able to forgive them. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to go on to our last scenario. Um, and it reads, and also too, for the viewers that are watching, um, you can use this time to also um, send in your questions. So last scenario is you have a colleague who you've deemed the office villain. They hoard information or resources and behaves offensively when they are approached about it. Because this person performs well and highly favored by management, you assume management won't take strong action toward them. Here's the question, Dr. Walsh. Could there be some key words in a conversation with management that will give success with the issue? This is a tough situation because I've seen this where the people in leadership just love this person, but the person is um, literally like foul as all get up. You know I mean? They're just, you know, um, they're like the, um, the enemies of Esther and her and her mm-hmm. uncle um, or the enemies of Nehemiah, Sam Ballard and, and those guys, you know, they're just work. They act like they're on your side. But they're literally working against you. So there's two things that has to happen here. If you've already approached them and it's really not been profitable or they're really mean or they're really coming after you, you may not want to keep going back and trying to reach out to them. Um, uh, unless it's in a group setting, you know, where you can, where you can, um, you know, uh, uh, put forward the facts to support your, your point of view. But what I would say is you want to go to management and have, you may have to have a crucial conversation with upper management and be, and remember there are times when you're going to speak up and say stuff and it may cost you, mm-hmm. but it may not be worth staying in a very difficult, painful work environment. If you're being passed over and, and cheated and people are taking advantage of you, you may need to start looking for another job, but you may want to go to the senior, senior leadership and say, listen, Here's the facts. This person isn't telling you the whole facts. And I, you know, I don't want to come in here and be a snitch, but it's not right that you guys don't know the truth because without knowing this, you may not be able to lead your company or this organization in the direction it needs to go. Um, you do have to be very careful. You got to make sure you have your, your facts all straight. You got to make sure that it's not you being angry or emotional or seeking revenge. It has to really be about what's best for the organization. And I tell you, a lot will be forgiven of you if you confront things in the workplace if your true motive is the betterment of the organization. Uh, how much more so, of course, in the Church of God, um, you know, that if all of our motives are simply to grow the Church of God and to see the gospel go forward, uh, if that's truly what motivates everyone, the church is going to go in a, in a, it would go in a much uh, better direction. Obviously, there's a lot of self 
mixed into that in church, at work, even at home. And that's why you don't often see the progress you want to see in those areas. So you would want to be honest with the upper management at some point. I mean, you, you could labor with it for a little while, but at some point mm -hmm. you got to go tell them the truth. Just remember, mm -hmm. speaking up sometimes, you might have to die on that hill. So, yeah. you know, you got to make up your mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my truth, you know, you know, my side of the story, but I'm, you know, if, if it goes bad, I, I understand the consequences. Now, what if you're like, look, I can't afford to lose this job and you've got to come up with a very tactful way to do this. And you're going to have to slowly show some things, or you may honestly find someone in upper management that you trust and to share this with. Awesome. You bring up some very, very valid points. Um, you know, there, that's a scenario I wouldn't want to be in, but, you know, I know we all have to cross some type of um, challenge, some type of challenge um, in our workplace and professionally. So um, I'm, I'm going to address one of the questions that came in. And then, you know, in closing, I want you to share any, you know, final thought or messages for, the, or for our viewers. We don't have that much time left. So I'm going to um, read you this question that came in. It says, in network marketing, how can you reconcile the fact that people in the same team or organization see you um, as someone in occult practices? Well, I think they're asking, what this person is asking is you, you're doing network marketing and how is you, do you, I guess, as a Christian, reconcile the fact mm -hmm. that some of the people on your team um, believe in occult practices? Mm -hmm. So um, there's a couple ways to look at this. And I mean, this is true for Christian professionals. You will not agree with everybody that you work with right. and that's okay. One of the beauties of this great country is the, the freedom of religion. So people can believe differently, even when you don't agree with them and that's fine. Um, so I would start there and just say, they have a right to believe whatever they want to believe. Um, obviously you will not participate in those practices <laughs> as a Christian. Um, but there's a couple other things. So if you know about it and they're sharing it, you don't have to be exposed to it. So there is some space in, in the, you know, in kind of the HR world where you can say, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm not into that. I don't, I don't really want you putting an idol over my desk. You know, mm -hmm. um, you can do that. Um, but the second thing I think is the spiritual side. And I think this is where we can kind of, we can end our talk today. Um, the workplace is still a place where um, spiritual warfare can happen. Mm. The devil knows you're a Christian. Your coworkers mm. usually will know you're a Christian. And so the enemy will attack you at work. Um, and sometimes it will be just through bad intention. Sometimes it will honestly be through occult practices. So before you go to work, even before you walk in a building in a situation like that, and if you're doing mar network marketing, maybe you don't even have a building, but before a meeting, you want to make sure that you pray to the living God, ask to be covered by his blood and ask for him to send angels that excel in strength to be given charge over you. Don't walk into that situation, not covered by the spirit and the blood. Um, and so that's the first thing. So you want to do that because um, the devil can't get you. Isaiah says, when evil comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up his standard against it. Um, so you want to make sure that you do that. So that's one of the key things. That's the, so that's, you know, that's important. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is, I think you, you have to be careful sharing your Christianity at work, but I think you can behave as a Christian. Um, and so being kind and forgiving as Christ was being practicing servant leadership, as we talked about earlier, um, are all the different ways that you can do that at work. And as time goes on before the coming of the Lord, 
more and more crazy things are going to happen and more and more crazy things are going to be brought into work. Um, and you've got to learn to be covered. The scripture says that Lot was in Sodom and he was vexed by it, but Lot remained righteous. And so, um, you know, I challenge you to remain righteous on the job and don't be judgmental. Don't be quick to go off on a tirade. Um, be kind, be loving, be a servant person. Um, stick to your beliefs. You know, keep the Sabbath and let them know you keep the Sabbath. If they ask you to do something on a Friday or Sabbath, no, this is, that's my Sabbath. When they ask you what that is, share it with them. Um, and allow your witness to be your your behavior. Make your sermon be your kindness and your attitude, um, especially if someone's into their cult practices. But again, pray and be covered. And don't worry, God will prosper you. The Bible promises that, you know, if you return your faithful tithe and offering, my Bible tells me God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. it says if you keep the Sabbath, you, God says I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. So you stay faithful to God, humble um, before God, loving and serving others, and God will reward you. Their occult stuff won't beat the blessings that God can give Amen. as the old entire Old Testament shows you in how Israel and Judah uh, defeated their enemies who were practicing the occult stuff. Awesome. Thank you. You think we have time to squeeze in one last question before you kind of share us like a closing thought sure. or a closing message. Okay. So Diana asks, what do you think of seniority? How should you communicate to your staff who has served the company longer than you to do more things or up their or up her performance? for me to make our team's work done. So I think in translation, um, they're basically asking, um, you know, you're at a company and you have staff who's been, or a staff member who's been there longer than you and um, you want to increase their performance. I guess, how do you go about doing that? So that's a tough one. And this is where you need crucial conversations. You have someone, let's say, that's been on the job 20 years mm -hmm. and they are doing 15% of the work that you're doing, <laughs> um, but they have seniority. So they're getting holidays off when you can't get holidays off. They're getting mm. vacation when they get first pick of vacations. They're being paid more money. Um, and so if you're their supervisor, you can have the crucial conversation that way if they've got seniority. But if not, um, oftentimes it's probably not best to bring your complaint straight to this coworker because you're not their supervisor and they're not your subordinate. You want to take this to the senior, to whoever you guys report to sit down and have that crucial conversation to say, Hey, you know, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling a little uh, distressed. Um, I want to know, I think I'm, you know, and again, you want to leave, you want to lead with curiosity and questions. You want to say, listen, it seems to me that somehow, um, you know, I'm doing, I'm pulling more of the weight than this other person, but because of their seniority, they're getting better benefits. Let, you know, am I wrong? You know, maybe there's something else that's happening that they are doing more than I can see. Um, you you want to ask that question. Um, and then you want to ask, you know, is it, you know, how can we rectify this? Because, you know, I feel like I'm doing 80% of the work, um, but getting paid less because I don't have as much time in and not getting any of the benefits of seniority. So you have to sit with senior leadership and ask those tough questions. Um, and again, you know, these are tough times. Unemployment is high, but yeah. I tell patients all the time, if you're at a job and it is stressing you out, making you feel sick, it's not worth it. You, you, you have a job so that you can stay, so that you can have mm -hmm. livelihood, so that you can live. If the job itself is killing you, what's the point? 
and stress will kill you. I could do a whole talk on workplace stress, <laughs> raising right. your cortisol levels, messing up your immune system, increasing your risk for coronavirus directly. Mm. Mm. Um, and so you don't want to be in a situation like that. Um, but you do need to f- speak up when you see things aren't fair. Uh, that's interesting, you know, kind of, you know, taking care of your health. So, you know, kind of real quick back to that first question about occult practices. What if you're in the whole network marketing, and you're kind of pushing products, I guess that's kind of in the occult practices. Okay, so now, so this question seems to be like, look, if, if you're doing network marketing, and the products themselves um, have some occult practice ties or ties or parts i mean you have to really look at that that's a little different um Mm -hmm. i'll take it to the extreme like i would not join um a multi-level marketing thing that was gonna sell sell you know some technologically advanced ouija board uh just i just wouldn't do that right um i'm not gonna sell you a ghostbuster you know um uh, you know, ooze gun or whatever they, what they use on the movie to, to kill ghosts because I don't believe in the ghosts like that. So, um, you know, there's some things that you shouldn't really get involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I knew more detail because I could probably yeah. speak to it a little better, but I will say um, there's a lot of things that we do. You know, there's, there's companies you're going to work for that you don't agree with everything they do. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there's no way around that because, you know, you're just one person in the company. But obviously, you know, as Adventists and at least it used to be in our in our baptismal vows that you don't partake in the production or sales of alcohol, tobacco, or other drugs and other things, or you know, or gambling establishments and so forth. Um, that's tough. I mean, if you go work in a grocery store, they sell mm-hmm. cigarettes and yeah, alcohol. So you never work in a grocery store. Tough call, right? Um, but you've got to make you got to you've got to talk to God and ask Him: Am I crossing a line by being a participant in the sales of these products? Um, or, or if they're just blatantly directly occult, you, I would argue you should you should walk away from that. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Um, so before we close here, I want to give the rest of the time to you. Um, should you want to um, cover and close this with a you know a closing message? You know, I, I think um, thank you again for having me, Alina, mm-hmm. and the rest of ASI. It's always a privilege to join, um, and I pray that God blesses this virtual. Um, conference this year um i was looking forward to being with you guys in florida but i, I know yeah. <laughs> but i understand the circumstances I, let me say this to the young professionals you know mm-hmm. um as a young professional think of the mark that daniel and the three hebrew boys had in nebuchadnezzar's court um think of how joseph the impact he had in potiphar's house and even in the prison how he was elevated, how Joseph treated people. Think about the reason he actually ultimately gets out of prison is because Joseph isn't thinking of his own good. He's thinking of the good of the baker and the butler, um, interpreting their dreams and trying to help them out. And hence, that's how he finally gets out. Um, Think of the servant position Christ took. Christ, um, you know, really served others consistently, and effectively. And so this is the calling on each one of us when we go to work, to be Joseph's, Daniel's, and to be Christ in that workplace. Now, that does not mean you go in there and you can, you know, spot off all your beliefs because they're not paying you to tell your beliefs. So you do have to be careful in the workplace about sharing God. But you want to exemplify him. You want to show Christ by how you live, how you treat others, your work ethic, um, your integrity. Um, those are the ways that you can do that. You want to be different. When the off-colored jokes are being said, you walk away. When people are inviting out to drink, you mm-hmm. 
respectfully decline. And people will eventually ask you, why don't you drink? Why don't you eat this stuff? Why don't you, um, you know, I notice you never, you, you walk away every time we start talking about certain TV shows or, or situations. And, and that will be the way that you'll be able to witness. And I want to tell you that God will prosper you. God will mm. bless you just as he blessed Joseph. Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house and he was moved to the position of the ruler of the house. He was a, he was a prisoner in the prison. And he was given charge over the other prisoners. Um, and then he went to be second in command only to Pharaoh. Why did God allow Joseph to go through that? Some of you in a job that feels like you're a slave in a Potiphar's house. Some of you in a job and it feels like you're in a prison. But I want you to know that God is teaching you something in each step of the process to allow you to one day be the Joseph who helped Pharaoh save Egypt and the world and was given a higher position. If you can stay faithful to God in little things, um, mm. every day at work, um, getting to work on time, doing your job, being the best you can be, um, God will give you bigger opportunities down the road because he'll know he can trust you and others will know that where you are, like Joseph, wherever you land, blessings follow. Um, and you want to be that type of person. And so crucial conversations are important because you don't want to let things fester. You don't want things to just uh, um, keep, you know, keep um, uh, mulling around in people's heads and, and people get more angry and more angry and we don't stop and actually just address it. That is critical. That is key. That is crucial. Um, and I'll finish with just this. Christ was a servant leader. He served his disciples. And the best example of that is when he um, washed their feet at the Last Supper. Um, and this is the, if many of you are going to be leaders listening to me. You're going to be leaders, supervisors, directors. Some of you will be CEOs of big companies. Um, and I want to tell you that you, the same attitude that Christ had, the disciples called him master, yet he washed their feet. Um, and that is the kind of attitude we want to have as leaders in the work world, in the church, and in our homes. Amen. Amen. So it looks like um, we're almost at our time. So I just want to say thanks, uh, Rebecca, our moderator, who is feeding us those audience questions, uh, and Dr. Walsh for covering such a, a practical and useful topic for young professionals. You know, we can take these gems that we've received and, you know, put them into practice, you know, in our workplaces or in our businesses that we're starting up. So in closing, I'd like to invite the viewers to join us on the main track to view the next segment. And thank you guys for tuning in. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org <laughs>